Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello and welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. And our reasonable voice today is the gloriously powerful, beautiful Broadway voice of Raissa Katona Bennett. If I list even half of Raissa's Broadway and television and cabaret credits, we'd have no time to talk, so forgive me if I just skim over a few highlights. On Broadway, Raissa Katona Bennett appeared as Christine Dye in Phantom of the Opera and in Chess as a benefit for the Actors' Fund. Her first national tours include Jelly Lorem Griddlebone and Jenny Dots in Cats as mother in the National Theatre of the Deaf's A Child Christmas in Wales and as Lily Fagan in Parade, where she worked with the original creative team of director Harold Prince, choreographer Patricia Birch, author Alfred Ury, and composer Jason Robert Brown. Off-Broadway, Productions featuring Risa Katona Bennett include Water from the Moon and Devil and the Deep. In New York City, Risa has headlined at Feinstein's, Metropolitan Room, Iridium, and the Laurie Beachman Theater. Risa has guest-starred at the Supper Club, Rainbow Room, 88's Don't Tell Mama, Cheetahs, The Agonquin, Radio City Music Hall, and at Lincoln Center's Rose Hall, and the Town Hall in the Mabel Mercer Cabaret Conventions. She has soloed in many symphony orchestras, and was featured at the Lincoln Center Barnes & Noble in their Any Wednesday series, performing selections from her first CD, What I Was Dreaming Of. Her second CD, Another Kind of Light, was released in August 2021 through LML Music, an independent label dedicated to distributing the finest in cabaret jazz Broadway vocals. Her latest CD, Live from Feinstein's, Can't Help Singing the Music of Jerome Kern, was released on LML Music in April 2017. Reesa was nominated for a 2013 Mac Award for Major Artist, for a 2009 Mac Award for Outstanding Female Vocalist, the award considered to be the Nobel Prize of Theatre. 
In 2008, Teresa chose to unite the world of cabaret, jazz, Broadway, and classical music at City Green Spaces. As a result, she received the 2010 Bistro Award and 2011 Mac Award for Outstanding Achievement as the creator, producer, and host of Concerts for City Greens. Our guest today, Ms. Katona Bennett, also writes Risa Recommends, which highlights performances in NYC, cabaret, and theater, and promotes animal rescue and a kinder, more verdant world. Another passion of Reesa is training rescue dogs with behavioral issues to make them more adorable. Reesa lives in New York City with her husband, Dr. Garnet Bennett, a facial plastic and sinus surgeon, and their tiny loving and appreciative rescue dogs. They live in Tudor City in Manhattan and also enjoy a weekend home in Norwalk, Connecticut. Raissa Katona Bennett, welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program. How are you today? Well, Marcella, how are you? I'm I'm terrific, thank you. Things life is good. It's crazy. It's really crazy, as I know. I don't have to tell you. For instance, these days, I guess how you're doing doesn't seem to be enough. I mean, working while Henri and Ida and COVID are raging all around the Northeast. How do you get through all of that, the way you do with such energy and positive energy at that? We all know these things are existing, and they can give us challenges, but in every challenge, there's also an opportunity. Yes. So I use that. I, I try to look on the on the bright side of life. My father used to call me a, a gosh darn Pollyanna. That wasn't exactly the term he used. It was a more colorful. <laughs> I can so, imagine. But, um, well... We certainly appreciate you being here, and that, and and by being here, I mean in everything that you do, because everything you do enlightens and brightens people's lives. Let's face it. Let's start with Broadway. Why not, right? <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, chess. Tell us, tell us all about it. There are a lot of people out there that don't know the process: audition, callbacks, being cast. Are you called by an agent? Are you looking the trades? How long does it run? How many performances a week? Tell us. Well, in the case of Phantom of the Opera. The first show I did before that, that was a big break for me, was doing the first national tour cast. Now, first national tours on an actor's resume is, are virtually the same yes. as doing a Broadway show. It's the same, it's called production contract. It's the same contract. It's the same money, but you make more money because you're getting per diem. Yes. To go out on the road. And what's exciting about a first national tour is that you sit down in a city a first-run city like Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, D.C., you sit down there for at least a month, usually two to, to four months. You get a nice apartment, and so you can take some per diem and talk it away if you're smart. Yeah. And you have an opening night and a closing night in each city, which is really fun. <laughs> Whereas on Broadway, you've got one opening night. Uh, occasionally, you have parties throughout. You know, especially anniversary parties or if somebody's leaving or a Christmas party. But in general, what's exciting about being on a first national tour is that you have an opening night in every city. It keeps it very fresh. It's very exciting. You get to know the city you're in, too, which is really nice. But that company, the production company, uh, the being, you know, the artistic people, the casting people, were the people at that time that were also casting Linda the Rob, Phantom of the Opera, stuff like that. So once they knew you, yes. uh, it was helpful. For example, I got cast by just going to an open call. I did not have an agent. I, I have a wonderful agent now, but I never had an agent 
any of the big jobs I got. I got them all through open calls and through, you know, them getting called by the casting directors from that. Now, so an open call, for anybody who may not know, is you see the advertisement. You know, of course, it's online. So you basically go and you sign up for a time, and and then you go in and you stand in line, and you, if you're lucky enough to get a call back, then you have an appointment. So with CAPT, that was open call. Uh, I did open calls, and I finally got a And so that's how that happened. Then once that happened, I wanted to be seen for Linda Zarab, but they would not see me for it. They would not see me for Sophette, which is what I was made for at the time, mm -hmm. because I had just finished doing a funny diva test. Even though, up to that point in my career, everything, and this is how I met you, everything I'd done was ingenue, Sopranos. Yes. This was the first time I did a funny diva role, and then that's how they were seeing me. So I went into an open call for Letters Are Up. Yeah. And I went in acting, just being very quiet and small and shy like Cosette. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> suddenly I was right for all the other news again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got down to the very end of that, Cosette in the first national tour. And at the same time, then the casting director called me in for the Broadway Company cast and for Family of the Opera. The replacement, Rebecca Luker, God rest her soul, had moved up into the full-time 15 spot, and so they needed someone to cover her old role, which was the princess and the understudy for 15, which is what I ultimately got. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So that, that is the process of how I got into fandom. I basically, it all started from going to open calls, and then once they got to know me, they would call me directly, which was very exciting and a lot easier. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But 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 how many chased you around your apartment? Which sounds funny. That's not what I mean to say. We lived in the same apartment building, and I was directing a brand new show, and I heard you vocalize most mornings. And what a beautiful voice! Went to the first rehearsal, and they didn't have a leading lady. And I said, "Oh, I know someone who's perfect for it. She sings to me every morning." And they say. And they said, who is she? I said, I don't know, but I'll find her. <laughs> you were vocalizing as you did most mornings, I heard you. And I, you weren't on my floor. I had to go around and up and down until I could was sure I wasn't going to, if I was going to offend someone, at least it would be for a good reason. <laughs> you took a breath and I knocked on the door and you said, who is it? And I said, I started out, I didn't realize, but I started with the right word. I said, I'm a director and I'm, and you opened the door. Anyway, that's how we got to work together. And folks, that was a grand, grand time. Grand time. And people have been following your voice ever since. You, you know, if you read a list of venues where you've performed, I mean, including Feinstein's, where I've been, the, the Laurie Beachman Theater, the Supper Club, Rainbow Room, Don't Tell Mama, the Agonquin, Radio City Music Hall, no less. And, and I mean, they just go on and on and on. You have any... Um, any memories as special that you want to share? Um, Lincoln Center, Feinstein, those are all because I, I branched out into doing concerts and cabaret from my acting career as well. So they, they exist side by side. And what's good about concert and cabaret is that when you're not performing in a Broadway show or a regional show or off-Broadway, you are still get the opportunity to perform. So all of those venues speak. When I came the Radio City Music Hall gig, they were all about me doing one of my uh, one-woman cabaret shows. Uh -huh. And um, two of them, uh, I, I created CDs from. One is a studio CD, Another Kind of Light, and the other one is a live CD that we 
recorded live fine science back when it was still at the Lowe's Regency on First uh, State and Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. Loved that room. Yes. Those are all from having done my shows, as being a headliner at those places, the Metropolitan Room, the Iridium. At, at the Iridium, Scott Barbarino, who's the booking manager, had hired me and wonderful Don Rebeck, who is the musical director on my Jerome Prune CD, to do something called Broadway Jazz on Broadway. And so he wanted me to, um, I was the host, and I would bring Broadway people that also, like were like me that also had cabaret shows sure. um, that did jazz. And so we've seen the Broadway people doing perhaps a Broadway song in a jazz style. I remember I had Zine uh, from who was the from Into the Woods. I had Ann Parada from Avenue Q. Gosh, who else? Karen Mason. Mm. Um, who else? Uh, Eric Michael Gillette. Yes. Yeah. So so it's it's fun when those two careers dovetail and it keeps the performing, keeps the working. Exactly. And we haven't even mentioned, really, all the television you've done as well. I would like to do more television. I haven't done tons of it, but I finally got my baptism and finally did my first Law & Order SCU. All right. Where I played a judge, which was great. And some commercials and some independent films. I'm getting more auditions now for television, which is great. Yes. So, I, I, you know, that opened doors for me. And I got that from my wonderful agent. Marvelous. That's a fire starter entertainment, and my television agent through that is Kate. So um, she's been pushing for me, and that's been great. Excellent. I'm glad you mentioned her name, and I'm also glad that you mentioned earlier those open calls. You know, people used to poo-poo that, but I went, I didn't get all the way to Broadway like our guest today, but a, a couple of times just through the trades and signing up and showing up, I... Um, the Golden Apple, the show. It ran only a short time. There were 500 people. I auditioned, you know, they just line you up 25 at a time, stage left, stage right. And I kept getting, uh, you know, the, the director would come down and tap your foot, or the music director who was, ever was auditioning us, and that meant you were, you were in still. So it kept rows and rows and rows of people, and they, he whittled it down pretty quickly. And finally, it was down to the last 25 and he had told us he only needed 18. And he went by, you know, we sang and we went by and he tapped. And it was my first Broadway audition, by the way. And he tapped all the, uh, yes, he tapped all the the toes, but he didn't tap mine. I mean, he didn't tap 25. He tapped 18 people. So I wasn't the only one eliminated, but I was the only one concerned about my baby. And I remember, don't do this, folks. I remember saying as he started to walk away, I said, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you you did you didn't tap my foot, and he turned, and he was so wonderful. He knew I, you know, this was my first time. He just knew it. He came back down the aisle to me, and he said, "You did a wonderful job. Just not this time, but come back." I thought, man, what a class act. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Hammerstein's son. Ah. Oscar, it's a long time ago. I was auditioning for a production of Oklahoma, and I was still non-union, and I had gone, so the open clause when you're non-union are even more difficult, because you're often lining up at 4 o'clock in the morning outside, so you're queuing up near Times Square at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then I, I remember that there was a distinct urine smell in the hallways there. It was not fun. Mm-hmm. But all I could say, I was, you know, getting close to getting a union job. I kept getting callbacks and stuff, but so I had this audition, and... He took the time to come up to me and said, listen, I'm not going to call you back to this because you're not quite what we're thinking of. He goes, but 
you are wonderful. You're very talented. You're a great package, and I want you to keep with it. All right. And I was like, wow, thank you so much. And I rarely told that story because you just reminded me of how nice, you know, that fellow was to you. I felt like that those times are God tapping on my shoulder saying, keep going. Keep going. You're, you're, you're doing the right thing because you can go for, go for years without mm. another job. Mm-hmm. Then you'll get like an, an amazing callback. You'll get down to the, near the end. And it's like, this is just, you know, my, in my belief is this is just the universe saying to me, yeah, stay with it. You're, yes. You're still on the right path and it'll come when it's supposed to come. You know, as long as you do the work and you're ready for when your time comes. Excellent words. Excellent words of wisdom. I'm so glad you shared them, and especially for all the young and those maybe not so young who've given up way too soon. I hope they're out there listening. I wonder, just a quick question. We need to go to a break pretty soon, but I I wonder what, how did you happen to cross paths with any Wednesday series? I mean, what did you perform there? Wasn't that one of your, your first CDs? My very first CD. It was an afternoon that they would do at the Barnes & Noble at Lincoln Center, uh-huh. where they would invite cabaret-slash-Broadway artists that had a recording to come and present selections from their CD. And then it was there on sale at the Barnes & Noble. And they're being pretty cool to see my CD like, among them, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. The packages back when people bought CDs. And that was through Greenberg, Mike Greenberg. Uh-huh. Um, he is now a, uh, he's a he's an author, he's a reviewer, he's a lovely man, and and I'm trying to remember how I met him. I may have just met him in passing, to be honest with you. It's possible. Uh, you know, it's so hard. It's funny, you, you know, you've seen the business long enough, and you go, how the hell did I meet you? Oh, no. One of my best friends, Kenneth Gartman, who was just here, and my he's also my um one of my musical directors, training partners, and he... And I still cannot remember exactly how we met. And we are super close. Yes. It's still so weird. I, I have those two. So I I sympathize and understand. And it's okay because you still love one another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and do great work together. It's just wonderful. I have uh, so many. And it seems recently, too, I've got a lot of questions like that, both from guests and, and uh, from myself of, when did I meet this? And when did we do that? And I had to call up a guest who I'd worked for ages ago and ask her the timeline of when we were in Kennedy Center because I couldn't remember. That was a that was a huge chunk of my life at the very beginning of my career. You would think, my God, I don't know. Um, I just think so much has happened, you know, for people like you and and to me, me and others that, that we are we are working for so many years. You don't stop to think about uh, always. Okay. I did that while, gee, gosh, unless you're sitting down, you know, with a friend and talking about the good old days or whatever. But you just keep doing. You keep moving forward. You keep working. Yeah. And, and everything is about what you're doing now and what do you do next. What do you think? Well, you're right. It's all a constant state of, of um, being yes. you have to stay very flexible in this kind of a life, in this kind of a career. Yes, you know? yes. So, and and uh, for me personally, I hate to admit it, but I have someone will come up to me and say, do you remember the time that we did the such and such? I'm like, well, when I was in Phantom, um, I was in Phantom for five years. Yes. I was also going through a separation and a divorce. It was amicable. But, but you know, I never had any difficulty. It was very personal. But I had any difficulty compensating anything more than a magazine article. I like, couldn't read a book for a year or two. Mm-hmm. I couldn't concentrate. And so I have found now that a lot of the times people refer to 
are during those like two years and they go, I mean, what is coming back to me for a frog? But yeah, I really, I was just, you know, going through the divorce and therefore going through a move, you know, and doing phantom. I was like, I need to just, you know, hunker down here and focus on this um, and thank God. Yes. Because that was my, the thing that was completely stable in my life. So there's, there's, you know, you're going through stuff and you kind of have a little amnesia because you're just kind of one foot in front of the other and, and, and get it done, you know? I think that was an excellent answer. You mentioned that you were understudy for Christine and Phantom, but you also went on a number of times, didn't you? Wonderful. It was a great experience. Yeah, I mean, it's unlike anything else. It's physically demanding. It's vocally demanding. It's just wonderful. And um, I love the challenge of it. I also love playing my regular role. You know, I got to be the princess on a regular basis, so um, my husband says that that's typecasting. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Say this, that when you do get to go on, and the first time I went on, I do like four shows in a row. Mm. I knew this, like, flat out exhausted the next day. Because Christine's in every single scene but one. Yes. I always said they really should have called it Christine and the Phantom. Christine's one. That is, you know, stage a lot. I mean, it is a step physically demanding as well, but you know, she's wearing gowns that weigh over 50 pounds and running upstairs and downstairs and being thrown to the ground and dancing on point and all sorts of stuff. So it was a very physically demanding. So, yeah. Yes, that you remember. Okay. We're going to take a short break. Yes, and wonderful. We're going to take a short break. Our guest today is a talented, and I cannot say it enough, Raisa Katona Bennett. And And while we're on a break, by the way, we're going to let you hear Raisa Katona Bennett's voice. Here she is singing. Stay with us. We'll be right back after. Change can come on tiptoe. Love is where it starts. It resides, often hides, deep within our hearts. And just as pebbles make a mountain, Drops make a scene. One day at a time, change begins with you and me. Ordinary miracles happen all around. Just by giving and receiving comes belonging and be. Never rose before Each new day leads the way Through a different door And we can all be quiet heroes Living quiet days Walking through the world Changing it in
back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and our guest today, Broadway and cabaret soprano, Reza Catona Bennett. We've been having a marvelous conversation about her career in New York City and Broadway, first national tours and all over, and some television, and of course, doing some producing as well in New York City. Let's talk now about the song you just heard sung beautifully by our guest today, Raisa Katona Bennett. Ordinary Miracles. Raisa, tell us about Ordinary Miracles. This was written by Marvin Hamlish and Alan and Marilyn Bergman, two of my all-time favorite songwriters. Uh, you know, it's it's become one of my light my motifs, one of my theme songs, basically. It's, it's, you know, it's like when we talked about at the beginning of the show, it's all about making change in the world in positive ways. And that mm-hmm. those things, those little things that you notice them every day, they're just ordinary, everyday miracles, you know, and how they are. So the song means a lot to me. It also means a lot to me because I've been friends with uh, Marvin's widow, Terry, mm-hmm. Blair Hamlish. And she had heard me sing it at a um, fundraiser benefit concert featuring Marvin's music. And she has asked me to sing it many times since then. She really liked my rendition of it and she um, told me how it all came about, how Marvin wrote it. It's an important song to her, too. So I feel very personal connection. Yes. She's my neighbor. She lives a couple of miles away from me here in, in Connecticut. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see her regularly. Wow, that's beautiful. Yes. You know, songs come to us. It's not from nowhere. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. every, every song we sing, whether we write it or not, but... But tell us about your second CD, Another Kind of Light. Yeah, that's CD. My first CD was called What I Was Dreaming Of. Yes. And, uh, the, the title song from uh, one of David Friedman's songs, who's also a good friend of mine. Just two David Friedman's songs on that, Listen to My Heart and What I Was Dreaming Of. Uh, and that one I self-produced and put that out even with my black and white cover. I'm still in the process of getting it set up on iTunes and Amazon. But then the first produced one, was another kind of light. Yes, and that's with um, Ron Abel was my producer on that, and my musical director is David Caldwell. He wrote two of the numbers on that. One of which is where the title comes from. The song called "Soon with a View," mm-hmm. and he wrote that for the musicalization of everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, mm-hmm. and the writer of of the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm Googling it now. I really need to know. I learned in kindergarten. Yes. And there's the first statement of it, the only that he gave them permission to state a musical version. At any rate, David wrote this beautiful song called A Tune with the View based on one of the statements. And one of the lines in it is, My life gives off another kind of life. Hmm. And so that's what we named the CD after. So that CD is a compilation of a lot of songs that I did uh, in my first cabaret show, things that I learned between Broadway shows and just learning a lot of new stuff. The songs meant a lot to me. And it, it all has a very positive flair because yes. that's who I am. It also has two original songs that Michael John Lachuza wrote for me. Ah. Uh, one is, is called Bye Bye Ingenue, and the other one is called Port Chancarius. So that was pretty darn exciting is to have such an amazing composer write the song just for me. It's really honored. So that's, yeah. So that's that first CD. And then the second one was the live recording of Can't Help Singing, the music of Jerome Kern. 
that I did at Feinstein. Yeah. And I say I've been performing that show a lot. Uh, that's a, a show that really, I'm going to be doing it down in Maryland uh, at the at Live Arts Festival in, in Annapolis. And that's, you know, Jerome Stern, I mean, Swan, even if you don't know his name, you know so many songs that he's written. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote with over 100 different Johnny Mercer, Dorothy Field, Oscar Hammerstein, and frequent collaborators. So he's so well-rounded in everything he wrote. In fact, my little brother came to see me perform the show. He goes, you know, I, I never heard of this guy. He's the business, obviously. He says, <laughs> I know all those songs. I know smoke is in your eyes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I said, that's from 1960. He goes up with Otto Hardbox for the movie, for the, for the show Roberta. He's yes. not saying that, but I know that song. Yes. Yeah, so that's a whole different style show, and, and I love performing that. It's, it's, it's quite a vocal romp, I will tell you. Mm. Um, there's one nine-minute medley uh, in the middle of the show that when I do it uh, in the place at once, two acts, I, I that's the end of act one, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and it incorporates a lot of songs from Showboat in it. So I think from the very bottom of my range to a pretty high part of my range. Yes. And not the very top, but it, so it's, it's challenging. Um, but I enjoy it. I love it. I know, and I know that's become quite a signature piece for you, too. You've just performed it. Wasn't it in just July? Yes, did it here at the Music Theater of Connecticut. Yes. Uh, which is a place that I've worked um, several times at as a equity actor. Yes. Uh, and um, I did that show. I did it at Feinstein's. I reprised it back in 2019. seems like 100 years ago now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. When I finally released the CD, I, I did the CD release of and um, I did it at the Green Room 42, as well as at Don't Tell Mama, and at the Glory Beachman Theater. So, yeah, making the rounds of all the, all the cabaret houses. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And before we, before we necessarily almost change that subject, say again, where are you doing this and when in Maryland? It's called Live Arts Maryland it's in Annapolis. And you know what? When we get closer to the time, that information will be on my website. Okay. You can always just go to Radius at the Stone of Bennett. When I have all that formed up, I'm going down with my wonderful musical director, John Weber, who's a pretty legendary in his own right. I don't know if you're familiar with Marion McPartland's piano jazz, but he took over for her. Oh, because I was going to say his Art. name sounds very familiar, but maybe that's why. She had many, many people as guest hosts over there, John Pizzarelli, Elvis Costello, Michael mm-hmm. Feinstein, mm-hmm. and John Weber. And when she was getting ready to retire, she said, you're who I want to take over. Oh. He, he tapped him as the, as the heir apparent. So there you go. Um, so that would be amazing. Yeah, so I'm very blessed to have him, and he will do a show at the same time down there. So oh, excellent, excellent. He'll be two for one for the uh, people of Maryland. That's right. I know. Some time ago, clearly, you decided to unite the world of cabaret and jazz and Broadway and classical music at, at City Green Spaces. We haven't talked about that. I know it must be a labor of love. And one that earned you, by the way, another Mac Award. We should talk about what a Mac Award is and then, of course, talk about the concerts for City Greens. Yeah, so Mac Award is the Manhattan Association of Clubs and Cabarets. And once a year, they do an award show, like the, the Oscars, but for the cabaret community, yes. where you're nominated. They narrow it down to four people in each category, and then the membership votes on it. Well, the Concerts for City Greens was a nonprofit concert series that I ran for nine seasons. And I did say my husband and I, because he was the 
funding behind it primarily. Mm-hmm. A dear friend of mine who has now passed away, Julie Warshaw, was the president of Tudor City Greens, which is a lovely private park that is open to the public, which is unusual. Yes. For example, Gramsci Park is not open to the public. That's right. And as a result, anybody can use it. Tudor City is a neighborhood that lives between 2nd and 1st Avenue, mm-hmm. between 43rd and 40th Street on the east side, yes. right near the U.N. Yes. And so you're right above the busiest street in the world, 42nd Street, and you come up, and there on either side of 42nd Street are two private peaceful parks. So he asked me if I would take over the concert series in the park. They'd had these lovely small chamber orchestra, like two and three person string ensemble or guitarist. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll try it as long as I can, you know, make it something different, make it my own. And the very first one, I borrowed a sound system, a small one, from my friend Eva Kwan from Vocally. She runs a wonderful nonprofit, Vocally, where they go in and meet people in nursing homes and sing for them with Broadway and cabaret people. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to some of my best friends from both worlds. And I believe the very first one had... It had Rosemary Moore in it, whose son, Super Broadway, so he's a good friend of mine. And Eric Michael Duet was another. Everybody did this for free. I remember watching, he was singing, Eric was singing Hold Me Thrill, because his signature version of that song, he sounds like a million, and no one sings like this man. Mm-hmm. And he, I remember watching people coming up the hill with their mouths hanging open, hearing this glorious voice and fill the outside and people just hanging off of the park fences as well as crowding the space and so that that was that and that took, we, that we took off we produced between four and five each summer mm. and from May to September and my husband purchased a, a good outdoor sound system everybody volunteered from the man who eventually ran the sound which was a Broadway person Stuart Allen mm-hmm. to all of the we called the series regulars John Weber, Bill Zephyro, Kenneth Gartman, Mark Janis, all these people with amazing pedigrees. And then guitarists, John Harkness, Matt Starkblatt, Tom Hubbard, they would just, they were amazing, just donating their time. And it became a really wonderful thing that we all loved to do. Yes. You know, uh, in, in fact, Lenny Watts, who at the time was the president of MAC, said, you know, this is something that, and this is on the, on the last performance, this is something I'm really going to miss because you know, when you go to see somebody do a show in a cabaret room, you're, you're limited to the number of people that are there that you're going to, like, hang out with and, and, and have, you know, colleague time with. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a series, because it was free, because it was big and it was outside, you would have you would sometimes see, like, 50 of your really honestly closest friends mm-hmm. hanging out. And then we would always have a party at our apartment afterwards. And I think the largest number of people we had in my, my one-bedroom apartment was like 70 people. Oh. <laughs> we had two small terraces. So, but it was great fun. And we raised awareness for the city green spaces, you know, not mm-hmm. just ours, but things that, you know, these, these are treasures that need to be maintained. maintained and yes. that although the concerts were free, certain people were welcome to give a donation. And we got a lot of donations, which was nice. Always love to have more. But there's a lot of people that never got to experience this kind of music because they couldn't afford it. Or we had these that people hanging out their windows or housebound. So it was really, really lovely. So we did that for nine years. Wow. Finally uh, ended it because, for one thing, the final concert of the final season 
we started to perform and the heavens opened and mm-hmm. it poured. And, and unfortunately, we a lot of the equipment. But we were getting ready to, we were winding it down anyway because the truth is, Marcelo, it had become so big. Yes. It had taken over my life. I was no longer having, you know, even though it was only, a, you know, a summer concert series, it took probably it 10 took, months to produce it. Of course. I learned that I know I'm, I'm good at producing, but I don't particularly like to do it. Mm. What I love to do is perform. Yes. And it had taken me away from performing too much. Exactly. You know? But I missed it. I missed the series. I missed seeing the people. We intend to have a reunion a party at some point. One summer, we had Neil Sedaka, Ann Hampton Cowley, David Friedman, Michael John McHugh. Wow. Uh, were all there. Wow. Because they were, um, had been judges for us in the songwriting contest that we had held, again, to bring the awareness to the parks. And so then they came and, and performed for us. And it was pretty stunning. Yes. Pretty amazing. So... It got to that point where, like, oh, we got to get a better sound system, and then it just they, they got they got unwieldy. But um, at any rate, I still miss it. The people still miss it. They're still doing concerts in the park. And in fact, this summer, I helped them to get talent for three for the concert. Mm-hmm. But I did not produce them. I just showed up and I I hosted, but I did not produce them. I did one of the concerts there this past summer with my good friend Kenneth Gartman, who's my musical director, and he's also an amazing singer. And then Arbender Robinson, another good friend, who is a Broadway star. He's done 11 Broadway shows. Uh, right now he's in rehearsing, re-rehearsing Book of Mormon, and he spent 17 years straight on Broadway. And so we did a concert in the park there, and it went so well, we decided we would redo it, because both Arbender and Kenneth spend a lot of time in Connecticut as well. Mm-hmm. So we decided to reprise it, and we're doing it here in Connecticut on September 25th. It's going to be at Unity Center, Norwalk, which is my spiritual center, and there's a great performance space there. So we'll be doing that on the 25th as well. So um, anyway, that's the whole long story about the concert. But the point is, there's still music in the park, and I will help them out with it, but I won't take over curating the event. The next thing I will be doing in the park is the 5th Annual Dog Halloween Costume Parade. Well, speaking of that, I was just going to say there are a couple of things I'd like to cover before we go. And one was, I can't imagine, I mean, I know you don't have spare time, but you make it to write a blog highlighting performances in NYC Cabaret and Theater and promoting animal rescue. Talk to us about that. Let me start with the performances. It's called the Reyes Recommends. And so there is, on my website, you will see that there is a a calendar there, mm-hmm. and it will show you who is performing where. And if you click on it, it gives all the information. And all of those alumni of the concert series, because over those nine years, we had over 200 incredible artists. Mm-hmm. And as a thank you to them, I felt like, you know, letting people know when you're performing. And there's a lot of people that saw these performances wanted to see where they could see these incredible artists. So that's what that is. That's not the blog. However, the dog blog is dedicated to animal rescue, specifically dogs. And I have a couple of good articles on there on how to explain new stuff. But I do need to update it. At this point, you know, we have, I have fostered so many dogs with my husband. It's unbelievable. Even throughout this pandemic, starting in June of last year, we are now in our ninth foster dog. And she's getting me right now, a little Hershey. Mm. So we did three bonded pairs and three I think uh, all of them small. Um, this came they were all chihuahuas. No, two Pomeranians, chihuahuas, and we did two toy fox characters. So 
we volunteer exclusively at this point with Saskatoon Fur Baby Small Breed Dog Rescue, which is based in St. Mary's, Georgia. Uh-huh. But we transport up and down the eastern seaboard. It goes far west. It's like Ohio, I believe, sometimes, sometimes Indiana. And, you know, we just, it's a series of foster parents and adoption coordinators and counselors. And I do all of that. I foster the dogs. I do the adoptions processing, which means you you interview people fill out their application, you interview those people, then you arrange for a home visit, which I have done in person as well. At this point, now we're doing virtual home visits because of COVID, and it's turned out to be actually a very good thing mm-hmm. because we can really get a good, good uh, much more convenient, and we can see everything at a good time. And then you have to process all that paperwork for the, for the adoption, the contract, and everything. So, And then there's transport. So, for example, this past weekend was transport from Georgia all the way up to Massachusetts, and volunteers will drive for anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours and then meet the next group of volunteers who then take us to the next place, dropping them off along the way. Mm. Our director ends up doing, like, two days straight. He drives for 12 hours the first day, stays overnight with the car running with the dogs at, at a rest stop, and then returns the next day. So it, it's a huge labor of love for everybody. Wow. But, you know, volunteering is something you do when you can do it, when you have the time to do it. And let's be honest, during the pandemic, what did everybody want? Dog. Yes. So that's where my husband and I, I should say his name, Garrett, Dr. Garrett Bennett. Mm-hmm. He's a sinus surgeon. I'm very, very lucky. He's singing sinus surgeon. He's got a beautiful voice, and he's a songwriter. But if it wasn't for, for him, we wouldn't be able to afford to do this. So that's one of the ways it gives I by helping to support the rescue by donating our time, donating money, and in this case, for this little girl that we just, we just spayed her and did her dental and did her wellness exams. And then there's the letting go of them, because you don't keep them forever. It's very, very, I've only had two foster failures in my fostering career. One was Molly, and she was my heart. She's on my website, and she just passed away four weeks ago. She was a little over seven, she was at least 17. She was the very first dog that I kept, a little have any, the half size have any like father. She's eight pounds. Absolute angel. Uh, and the other one is my current little Chihuahua buddy. Yes, you hear me talking. Mm-hmm. And he was buddy we we got a year ago January as a foster and we got him neutered and ready for adoption. And so he was ready to go by the end of February. Mm-hmm. And two things happened at that time. One, we realized that our older Chihuahua, Odie, who was already 17 and a half, was getting ready to make his transition. And we knew that Molly was going to be very lonely. Yes. So we were like, this little guy really fits in well. But he was the youngest dog. My husband and I always adopted older dogs. Uh-huh. Now, they're wonderful, but nobody wants some of them. They're just so wonderful. So Buddy is just now two and a half years old. But he was a year and a half when we got him. So there was that. And then the pandemic hit. And yes. so transport stopped. Yes. So even though we are processing applications, we aren't being able to transport dogs over state lines. So he would have had to have been a local adoption. And by that point, we were like, no, we're in love with him. We're keeping him. So I've only kept doing all this time. The hardest time is the night before they go. Yes. Because you know, you're, you're, you know, I do my best to focus on how wonderful their life is going to be. Mm-hmm. And we have a really strict rescue and in, in, in how we, you know, filter the applications and how we screen people to make sure that they're going to the perfect home and vice versa. 
fit. It's a really good fit. And, you know, that's really the hardest night is the night because you love them so much. You know, they spend at least, in our rescue, they spend at least two months with me typically. Mm. I had for four months, you know, so hard. But once they're out the driveway, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Once they come, the hardest part is, the hardest part, Marco, is taking them from your car and putting them into the transport yes. and first and having them look at the window going, what, what, what are you doing? No, God, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. But then I can say that with all of my adopters, that I, with everybody that I fostered, I've stayed good friends with all of them. Mm-hmm. I recently got to babysit the Pomeranians. The, the lady who adopted them came up to visit her sister, so they got to come and, and stay with us. For oh. a couple days, which is wonderful. Great. And, um, yeah, so we stay in touch. We get to see how they're doing, and we know they're happy. So and that makes it worthwhile. And you have to keep in mind the greater good. If yes. you didn't let them go, you couldn't save another life. Exactly. We don't let go. You're saving another life, you know? Yeah. You just, you know, even with the pandemic and everybody wanting a dog, there's just still so many dogs in are put to death every year because people buy them on a whim. Anybody can plunk down money and buy a dog. Yes. But not everybody can adopt a dog because most rescues are very stringent to make sure that the dog is going to live right home. Because we don't want them to come back. You know, they can if there's hardship. But we want to make sure that that dog is not tossed around. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. All right. It's wonderful having this conversation and listening to you and all the the facets of your your human existence. You are such... A, you know, I often speak with performers about the, the best thing about being a performer is that it gives you not only the opportunity to express your talent at any given time, but it gives you an opportunity to look at your soul and develop that and who you are as a human being. Not everyone knows how important it is to take that opportunity, but I think we who are in the arts are in tune with that. We get a head start. We get hints and clues and you certainly have been an artist in so many ways. Well, thank you. The saving and giving back, I mean, you're right at the top of the list. Before we go, let's tell everyone how to get hold of you and to hear your music. Your website, of course, is your name, reissacatonabennett.com. Reissa is R-A-I-S-S-A, Katona, K-A-T-O-N-A, and Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T dot com. Reza Katona Bennett dot com. And of course, your lovely voice and incredible music can be heard on Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, and whatever you do, don't miss Can't Help Singing, the music of Jerome Kern and Another Kind of Light. Now available at lmlmusic.com. And, of course, Amazon. Thank you so much, Reza. Be well. You too. Bye now. Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando of Rolando and Dresna Productions. And Larry and I are vaccinated, masking up, and moving forward with our new musical dramedy, A Little Place Called Earth. COVID-19 and our 2020 elections have brought out the best and worst in some of us, but few of us have to learn what to do if a police officer stops us, and less than half of us have to worry about where we jog, walk, or drive. As we listen to Larry Dresner's composition, Mistakenly Taken, sung by Christian Mark Gibbs, imagine what a difference it would make if all Americans shared all of America equally. 
Bullet came to the shelter one day, decided to choose a son. They wanted a kid in need of love. So naturally, I was the one. They weren't really that bad after all, so I figured I had nothing to lose. I guess maybe I was special. There were many more kids to choose. Down deep, I was happy, like I was born all over again. I knew I was lucky. I packed my bags, we drove away. I waved as we passed the 